0: And I want you to take your Bible, please, and open with us to the book of Mark. And we're going to be turning back. We spent our whole Easter season in the book of Mark. And we are going to be in chapter number 15. And as we have looked at the story of the death, burial, and resurrection Of Christ, as we have looked at that, we have we started with the time of Gethsemane, and from there we went to the treason of Galicantu. Last Wednesday night we talked about the trial at Gabbatha, the place of the pavement. Sunday morning, morning and evening we spent uh, time. We spent our, our 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 thoughts turn toward the torture of Golgotha. This coming Lord's Day, we will spend our time discussing the triumph over the grave. But for tonight, I want to spend a little bit of time concerning the tomb in the garden. Now, I want you to understand a couple of basic things. When the Lord Jesus gave up the ghost... He was just as dead as anybody's ever been dead. His body was dead. There was nothing there. there. He was dead. But it was necessary. Paul said that he died according to the scriptures and was buried. And rose again, the third day, according to the scripture. In other words, the gospel is what? What do we say the gospel is? The death, burial, and what? Resurrection. What's that middle part? Burial. Was it essential? Absolutely. Absolutely was essential. So let me set the stage of what's going on. It is the 14th day of Nisan. It is the preparation day for the big day, which is, begins at six o'clock tonight, and it is Passover. And by the way, I think today is the Jewish Passover. I think it, starts, it either started last night or starts today. I don't know which one it is. And so it starts at six o'clock. It's one of the highest days of their year. And so this is what's taking place. We believe it was on Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon, what were, everything's taking place, about three o'clock so when Christ cried it's finished and gave up the ghost. So there's a three hour period now that they've got to hurry because they've got to do what they do got to do because it's six o'clock, they can no longer do anything because it's a holy convocation. You cannot do any serval work therein. And so you can't do anything, you've got to stop. And so in order, the, the, the body's gonna have to stay on the cross, or they're going to have to get it buried right quick. And so this is the situation. This is what's going on. This is where they are. But following the feast of the Passover was the feast of unleavened bread. And they, 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 they went together. And the feast of the unleavened bread was when they would take all of the leaven out of their houses now, today we don't think much about that. We have self-rising flour and self-rising biscuits, and we don't think much about that. But kind of like fire, you kept your fire. And you kept a little smoldering fire somewhere all the time. So that when you needed fire, you just blaze it back up, but you keep fire with you. When the when our pioneer forefathers went west. If it's accurate, there'd be a little hook hanging on the back of the wagon. There'd be a little pot of smoldering ashes, smoldering coals. There'd be a little smoke coming off the pot because they all took their fire with them because fire was hard to come by. Well, ladies, if you know what I'm talking about, so was leaven. Leaven your starter. We went through a phase a few years ago of bread makers and everybody was making bread. Everybody was making bread. I wish that would come back. I miss that. I love hot bread. I do. Don't care if I'm bread, but boy, I like that. has got that yeast in them. Yeast rolls. Oh, how in the world could Ryan's go out of business serving rolls like they did? I do not know that answer to that. I guess because they give them away. That's probably what it was. If they'd give the buffet away and charge you for them rolls, they'd have got rich. You know, they had it backwards. That's what happened. Well, in order to have that, in order to have that, you have to have your starter, and so when, they, when a woman would make the bread, she'd take a part of it and stick it aside before she put it in the oven because the oven would kill the leaven. She'd stick it aside and that was the starter for the next batch. And they'd knead it all up and get it all and it would spread throughout and it would rise. They'd take a part of that, put it away, <laughs> save it for the next batch. So you always had your starter by going back, going back, going back. As a matter of fact, up until this generation, a lot of people still had the starter from their grandmothers and great-grandmothers. It had been handed down for generations and generations. The same yeast was used over and over and over again. And the same, the same strain of yeast and all those things come out of Europe for most of us. Well, they were to take and put that away. They, could, they had to get that out of the house because leaven was a type of sin. And it was during that Feast of the Unleavened Bread... That Christ in his own body put away sin and lay silent and dormant in the grave, in the garden. Okay? So the significance of this whole thing is, the significance is that Christ is fulfilling the scripture and that he is fulfilling the type of the feast. The Passover, he was the Passover lamb. The unleavened bread, he put away sin in his own body. The first fruits, he got up, happy day. And then 50 days later, and by the way, the first fruits was always on Sunday. It was the day after the Sabbath. That priest had been doing that sheave offering. He'd been doing that for 2,000 years on Sunday morning. Always on Sunday morning. The Jewish Sabbath was on Saturday, but there was another Sabbath and it was on Sunday. And it was the Sabbath of the first fruits. Go in your Bible, Leviticus 23, and look up all of those feasts. There are four that occur in the springtime within a short period of time, within about 60 days maximum, you'll find all of those feasts, less than 60 days, you'll find every one of them that occur, always occur in the spring. Three occur right together, and then there's a 50-day interval, and then there's Pentecost. Well, all of those were fulfilled. The Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. They were celebrating Pentecost way before the Holy Spirit came. I mean, for 2,000 years. They've been celebrating. 2,000 years on Sunday morning, been waving them she's for the Lord. It's all been planned. God planned every bit of it. And when Christ got up on that first fruits, hey, somebody said, we all don't celebrate the Sabbath. Yes, we do. We celebrate the Sabbath of the first fruits. It was always on Sunday. Aaron celebrated it on Sunday. The Levites, the priests, celebrated it on Sunday. They've always celebrated it on the first day of the week. Seventh day is Saturday. First day is Sunday, and it was always celebrated on Sunday. All right, and so this is where we are. This brings us to the place that we are. I want you to look with me in the book of Mark, chapter number 15, and we're going to put in toward the latter part of the chapter, I'm going to read the beginning of the paragraph. The Bible says, this is where we left off. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so, that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. That's where we left. Well, today, we are now, our, our, our thoughts turn toward the tomb that's in the garden. Look what the scripture says in verse number 40. There were also women looking on afar off. So the Holy Spirit draws attention to these bereaved Jewish women. Can I tell you that the women in Christ's life, all the women never gave him a bit of trouble? You ever thought about that? Never. The women, they never gave him one ounce of trouble. He had trouble with a lot of other people, but he never had no trouble with the women. They were faithful. And the scripture, and, and if you notice the, the New Testament church, what would it be without faithful women? And when I travel overseas, it's usually old men, young boys, and faithful women of all ages. That's who makes up the church in the third world for the most part. Notice what the Bible says about these female witnesses. Uh, there were also women looking on afar off. Mary, the mother of Christ, is left with John. John's the only disciple that came to Calvary, and the Lord Jesus assigned him the cure of, of Mary, his mother. And so that leads us to believe that at that time there were no believers in his house. At that time, Christ's brothers had not were not were not believers. Because he didn't assign them to his, to, his, to his half-brothers according to the flesh and assign her, but he did rather to John. And so they were, they were afar off. In other words, they weren't at right there at the foot of Calvary, but they were looking, they were watching. And I have to wonder where they were watching from, if they were watching possibly from this garden. If they had a view from where the garden was. Don't know, Bible doesn't say. But the Bible notes female witnesses. And then the Bible names famous women, among whom was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, she's famous. She's the one that Christ cast out seven devils. And she's faithful. I mean, she's faithful. I mean, she might have been full of the devil, but hey, she's not no more, amen? And so Mary Magdalene, famous woman. Mary, the mother of James the less and Joseph's. Uh, again, uh, mother of the disciples, and the Bible says, and Salome. So there were these three women who were there, and these women uh, have, been, have, been, have been named uh, back. Uh, Salome, she was, she was expecting, she wasn't expecting a funeral. She was expecting a coronation. She wasn't expecting a cemetery. She was expecting a crowning. That's what she was expecting. And so, uh, you know, she's, you know, uh, she, she's, and, and, and so these, these women, famous women, women, of, women that we know their names, if we've, we've, you've read the gospels, you've, you've heard of these people. The Bible says, who is a parenthesis, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him. I read that verse, and I read that thought, and it clicked. Well, yeah, there were a group of women. It was obviously godly and, and holy, and, and uh, they, they, they domiciled separately, obviously. But there were a group of women that followed the Lord Jesus. And we think about just the twelve. But there were a group of women also who followed. And the Bible says they followed him when he was in Galilee. But notice this, they have made the long journey from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. And by the way, that's a long way walking. If you come, either way you come, you're coming down the Jordan River Valley. Galilee flows, the river flows down out of it. It is below sea level. And when you get down to Jericho, it's it's very low. And then you have to start the ascent to climb the mountains to get up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is one of the few places on the planet that was not built on a seacoast or on the side of a river, it had neither. It's the most important city on earth, but there is no river and there is no seacoast. And it's very hard to get there. It's at the top of the mountain. Somebody said something about the Jerusalem airport. And I said, they might have one for Piper Cubs, but trust me when I tell you, when you land in Israel, you don't land at the Jerusalem airport. There ain't no room. The airport's down at Tel Aviv on the coast. And you have to go by bus up that mountain. And it's about like going up 276 into the forest. It's about the same steepness as going from Pisgah Forest to Mount Pisgah. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that. As far as the road, that's about what it's like going up through there. It's a long way up through there. And you get car sick. I mean, it's it's a windy road that winds up. And so when the Bible talks about going up to Jerusalem... It's serious. Up, up, up. From any direction, you go up to Jerusalem. So it's a very unlikely place. But these women, when they followed him, they left the Jordan River Valley and they climbed up that road. And they came all the way and walked uphill all that way to Jerusalem. The Bible says... The Bible notes their faithfulness. They followed him, ministered unto him. I think they did the cooking. Whatever else, they, what they did, the, I mean, I think they took care of just that woman's touch. So the faithfulness of these worshipers, they followed him, they ministered unto him. And then the Bible tells us in the latter part of verse number 41, and many other women which came up with him, unto Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, other women, many, the Bible says, many other women. And so it's interesting that there are no men at Calvary except John, and John's gone. By the way, did you know that John was the only man that showed up at Calvary, and he risked execution himself? I personally believe John was in the garden. One of the Gospels tells us that he knew somebody that knew somebody, that there was another one there that knew somebody. And so we know Simon Peter's there. He's walking at a guilty distance, but it, I believe it's John, and I believe, he's in the, I, believe he's, I believe he's close enough to be identified with the Savior. He shows up at Calvary. I don't believe he's left him, John the Beloved. I believe he was willing to go to that other cross on the other side. I believe he was. If you will notice at the, at the, at the uh, Last Supper, they began to ask all around, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it... Somebody's going to betray me. Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? John, who's leaning on his breast, said, Who is it? He <laughs> knew it wasn't him. Point him out, Lord. Which one is it? He didn't, he didn't say, is it I? He said, who is it, Lord? Which one of them is it? The rascal, which one is it, Lord? Can I say this? As far as we know, John's the only one died of old age. He's the only one. In other words, he was willing to give up his life, and he's the only one got to keep it. Now, Peter lived a long time because when he was old, others let him about where he didn't want to go, signifying by what manner he'd die. He was crucified, history says upside down, and he was an older man when that happened. But John outlived that. We believe John lived to be in his 90s. John was probably around the same age of Christ, and we think that John was still riding in the 90s, in the 80s, 90s, if you can imagine that. John had written, matter of fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written. John, John was the last gospel to be written. It's not a synoptic. It's not like the others. And John does not write from the viewpoint of a servant, the viewpoint of a doctor, the viewpoint of a, of a, of a you know, he, he doesn't write from the, he, he, he writes the, the eagle gospel, the one looking down on the circumstances as God looks down on them. And we believe he wrote the Gospel of John, first, second, and third epistles of John, and the book of the Revelation, possibly even from Patmos in the latter part of his life. And so there are no other men there at Calvary, but the Bible says there were many other women, many other women which came up with him under Jerusalem. So I would say something about the bereaved Jewish women in verse number 40 and verse number 41. But I'd also like to say something in verse number 42, down through verse number 45, not only about the bereaved Jewish women, but about the body that Joseph wanted. Look what the Bible says in verse number 42. He gives the reason for wanting the body of Jesus. Verse number 42, and now when the even was come, so it was, the day was passing, it's even, it's, it's getting close, we're in the final three hours, the first three hours from 6 a.m. to 9 o'clock when he was crucified, from 9 o'clock till noon was the second phase, the second three, uh, when the lights went out from th- from 12 to 3. When he cried, it is finished. And now we've got the final part of the day from three until six. And so the day was passing. The Bible says, when the even was come. And then it says in the latter part of verse number 42, because it was the preparation. That is the day before the Sabbath. Now I understand (laughs) we're going to celebrate Good Friday. We take Good Friday as a holiday in the ministry here. And it's a Catholic holiday. The Catholics don't even eat meat on Friday. They eat fish on Friday over the crucifixion day. But I want you to understand the chances of Christ being crucified on a Friday are one in seven. Just one in seven. He was crucified on the 14th day of Nisan because Passover was on the 15th day of Nisan. What day of the week does Christmas always fall on? Nobody can answer that question because it falls on a different day every year, doesn't it? What day of the week does your birthday fall on every single year? It doesn't. It moves because it's a date, right? Passover was a date. It wasn't the first Monday of the month. It was for you know for it was it was a date. And so it was, notice that it was the preparation that is the day before the Sabbath. Another gospel tells us that it was a high day, meaning that uh, it was not the weekly Sabbath, but that Thursday was the high day. It was the the feast uh, of the Passover. And so the Paschal lambs would be killed at three in the afternoon so that the preparations could be made and they could be roasted Uh, and be prepared and ready to be served by 6 p.m. that day. And so this is the reason that he wanted the body, because it was the passing of day, and it was the preparation day. Look what else the Bible says in verse number 43, the request of the body. The scripture tells us that a man by the name of Joseph, and he tells us about not only the person, but he tells us about his place. Now, notice that he says Joseph of... He didn't say Joseph ArmaThea, being his second name. He said of. This was common. Many of us got our last names from places. Uh, the Summies, for instance, I married into the Summie family. The Summies came from Switzerland, and they came from a village called Summerwald, and it was shortened to Summie. And so they were. They, that was, that's their last names. It was where they were from. My last name being Barton, a Barton in old English literature is a barley barn, indicating that it's possible that our family were farmers. But interestingly enough, we were not fa- fa- fancy farmers or big time farmers. We were poor farmers because barley was a grain that was fed to the animals. Okay. It was a. It was. A, if you like, if, do you like barley bread? I don't. It's too sharp. It's too. I don't like the taste of it. Okay. It's too dark, and I don't like. I don't like barley bread. I like my bread light. Grandma called it light bread. There's a reason for that. Go to the store and get some light bread. There's a reason for that because the what we grew the rye and the and the barley and all the other things it was dark, and it had a it had a strong taste to it. Carried a strong strong taste, and so he is. Uh, So if your name is Taylor, you probably were a tailor. If your name's Fuller, I probably were a launderer, someone who cleaned and and did those things. And we could keep going with that, what those names mean, and go back in time as to what those things mean. But Arimathea, if if you cross-reference Arimathea, we believe that it to be in Mount Ephraim. And it's interesting who, who was born there. It was a little place that was pretty insignificant, but it was very significant. It was made significant because there was a woman from there who went to the temple one day and prayed under a great burden that she'd have a son and promised God that if he, she'd give him one, she'd give her a son, that if God would give her a son, that she'd give him back. Her name was Hannah. Mount Ephraim. That's where Samuel was born, and that's where Samuel was from. Joseph is from the same town as Samuel was from. I don't know what the significance of that is, but Samuel is one of my favorite Old Testament, Old Testament figures. He's one of my favorites, and so. But I thought that interesting. The Bible tells us a little bit about him. We know a little bit about the person. His name is Joseph. We know a little bit about the place. He's from Arimathea. We know a little bit about his prominence. The Bible says an honorable counselor. I'd always heard it, but I wanted to make sure. The phrase counselor, in this particular instance, it means senator. And a senator was what basically the senate of the Jews, and they had their own senate, and the senate was the Sanhedrin, That's what it was called. So this man was a senator. He was a representative of the Jewish people before the Roman government. And and they had a certain amount of power. They were given a certain, they were not autonomous, but they were given a certain amount of power. And so they would vote on things, and they would do things, particularly religious things, but everything had to be cleared through the Romans, One of the things they could not do, they could try you, they could find you guilty, they could penalize you, but they could not kill you. They did not have the power, it's called the power of the sword. That was limited to Roman officials. They took away the death penalty out of the hands of the Jews and all of their provinces. And it it was only, even though you were not a Roman citizen, you were still a Roman subject, and Roman subjects could not be executed without the authority of the Roman government. Now, they'd kill you in a minute, but they wouldn't let the Jews do it. Okay, so that's the, that's the balance of power. And I said, I think earlier in this series, imagine, imagine them being like the Senate of North Carolina, state law, and then being circumvented by the Roman government, which would have been like federal law. Rome would have been equivalent to Washington. See what I'm saying? And so state law can only go so far. And then federal law kicks in. But federal law always overrides state law. Always overrides state law. Always. And so it was with the Romans, if it gives an idea. The Bible says something about him, though, as a... a, uh, as a senator, most of the senators were very, very rich. And he was a rich man. But apparently, he got his riches before he got his Senate seat. Because the Bible says something about him that was not true for 99% of them. And that was that he was an honorable senator, he was an honorable counselor. He didn't use his seat for bribes and favoritisms. He got, he had his money before he got there. Therefore, he was not subject to bribe. How do you know that, preacher? Because of what it says. He was an honorable counselor, and it's like somebody saying a honest lawyer. You rarely hear those two words together, do you? Is that right? How many times you've heard the phrase crooked lawyer? That's all the time. You hear it all the time, don't you? How many, time, how many times have you heard anybody say, oh, he's an honest lawyer? That, those two words just don't seem to go together, do they? Or an honest politician. Those words don't seem to go together, do they? Thank you, counselor. <laughs> I mean, it just don't go together. That's what, that's what makes our counselor, that's what makes it stand out. That's what makes it so different. Because so many people it's not what you know, it's who you know. And it ought not be like that. But it is like that in this day. I promise you it's like that in this day. A whole lot of what goes on. It's about who you know and who you are. And I don't get me started. I've lived here all my life. I know enough to bury about half this county. Been some shady deals, Bull, son. Some shady deals. But the Bible says this man was not guilty of shady deals. He was an honorable counselor, the prominence of Joseph. But notice this. Now we know why he was honorable and honest, because he waited for the kingdom of God. Wow. Now, I want you to understand that apparently he had not been waiting for the kingdom of heaven. What's the difference? The kingdom of heaven was what Christ was offering the people. He was offering the people that if they would accept it, heaven would come down and the millennial reign would begin. That's what he was offering. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what they all preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, if you can imagine it, is a piece of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is everything from eternity to eternity. Old Testament, New Testament, tribulation, millennial reign, eternity, future, that's the kingdom of God, okay? So the kingdom of heaven is included in the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is a much bigger, broader thing than the kingdom of heaven, okay? The kingdom of heaven, they got a glimpse of it on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember that? They got a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. Well, the Bible says that he also waited for the kingdom of God. In other words, it tells us a little bit about his piety. In other words, he was a religious man, but he wasn't one of these that were just doing what they did to be doing it. Apparently, he was a genuine, sincere, law-keeping Jew to the best of his ability. And he was still offering sacrifice when he would transgress and he was trying his best to fulfill the law. So he was, he was a part of, he was waiting for, he waited for the kingdom of God. That tells us he, he was not a follower of Christ in his life, apparently. But he was in his death. The scripture says, waited for the kingdom of God. And notice the petition of Joseph. The scripture says, and he came. The Bible says he came and went in boldly. Well, understand that he may be a state senator, but he's walking into a federal senator here. He's walking into somebody bigger than that. He's walking into a Supreme Court judge, if I could say it that way. Senators don't have the power of the sword, but Supreme Court judges do. And Pilate had the power to say up or down. He could say off with your head or leave it on it. He had that power. Pilate did. But the Bible indicates that he went in unreservedly. He came and went in boldly, the Bible declares, boldly. What does that tell us, preacher? That tells us that they suddenly... We don't know this man. We've not seen this man. He's nowhere in any of the Gospels. But suddenly he comes on the scene. Now listen. No doubt that this thing has been, he's heard of this man. He's seen the evidence against this man. He was a senator. He has been through all of those things. And no doubt he voted no. If he got to vote at all, he voted no. And the Bible goes on to say this. He came, but the Bible uses a very unusual word. He says, the Bible says, and he craved. He craved the body. Now, he came in boldly, but this is what he did. The word craved here is is an unusual word in that it, 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 the person who is, the, the, the suppliant, the person who's wanting something, the word that's used here indicates the attitude. He didn't walk into his office and beat on his desk and say, let me tell you something. You give me that body right now. I demand it. not even close to that. Just the opposite. He came in with a certain amount of haste. He came with a certain amount of certainty, but then he was as meek as a lamb, and he craved that body. Vine said that that word Unger also said this, the petition of one who is lesser in position than he to whom the petition is made. He came right in with with passion and and with, with, with urgency, But then when he got there, he humbled himself. He didn't use his authority as a senator. He didn't play politics. He craved the body of Jesus. Verse number 44. The Bible says, and Pilate marveled if he were already dead. Because, you see, he'd only been crucified at 9 o'clock. You see, the Romans were good at this stuff. They could make it last for days. And it ain't but 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He's dead already? How did that happen? Well, what happened? Well, he dismissed his spirit, didn't he? Well, so he was surprised at the report, but he made sure of, of, that it was real. He sent to the centurion and said, uh, I was asked him had he been any while dead and, and, and when he knew it of the centurion he gave the body to Joseph and by the way the word gave there is the idea of giving something presenting someone with a gift in other words I don't know if he was it's hard to know if he was placating, if he was, it's hard to know, but he, he gave it as a gift. In other words, it was, it was Joseph of Arimathea to do anything he chose to do with. And the scripture says, and took him down, well, let me, go back to, let, me go, let me go back here, back up, gave the body. Let's look at the final thought, the barrel that Joseph wrought. There is the bereaved Jewish women, there are the... The body that Joseph wanted, but we close with the thought, the barrel that Joseph wrought. There's the linen shroud, and he he bought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen, a linen shroud. The Bible says, and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of rock. It fits the description, doesn't it? The Bible says that was near. And it also says, where never a man lay. So all of these things fit the description laid him in a sepulcher and by the way you don't loan people sepulchers you don't loan people graves that's kind of a permanent thing but he preached out of a borrowed boat he rode in on a borrowed donkey and he was laid in a borrowed tomb but he didn't need it for but a short time he just needed it temporarily You know what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53? And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. To fulfill Scripture, that's why he hastened in. The Lord had him ready to go, had this whole thing ready to go. He had urged him to build that so the place where the Savior could be laid. And the Bible tells us, and rolled a stone. Under the door of the sepulchre, down that trough over the door. And the scripture says not only the, the linen shroud and the lone sepulchre, but there was a large stone. And then there were these lady spectators. Here they are again. We opened it and closed it with them. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. Lady spectators in verse number 47. They were the last ones to see him. They followed him all the way as far as they could go. When they could not go any further, they turned and went to the house. But they're coming back early on resurrection morning, aren't they? Only to find that stone rolled away. Happy day. And the stone wasn't rolled away so he could get out. It was rolled away so they could get in. We'll say more about that on the Lord's Day. But I want you to think about, during these days, not only the time of Gethsemane and the treason of Galicantu, the trial at Gabbatha and the torture of Golgotha, but the tomb in the garden. But I want you to understand that in every other human but Moses, the minute the heart stops, the natural bacteria that are within the body begin the breaking down of the tissue, and the decaying process begins. We're decaying all the time, but we have more new cells growing than the old ones are breaking down. But in death, the new ones stop, and so the body begins to decay. But I want you to understand, not this time. Not this one, because that was a part of the curse. It was a part of the curse of, uh, of sin, and this was a sinless body. By the way, Moses is hid somewhere. devil don't even know where he's at. Check the book of Jude. <laughs> Michael got into it with the devil over where Moses was buried. I believe God's got Moses on ice over there somewhere, and he's going to step out here one of these days. I do. I think he's going to step out, a 120-year-old man. I think he's going to step out. Or however old he was, he's an like, old oh, man. He's going to step out. And Elijah's coming back. I believe they're going to be the two witnesses. But for three days, not one thing happened. Not one thing. Not one, no, no stink, no decay, nothing but there was a glorious transformation. That body was resurrected physically. It was literally that body came alive again Well, the power of the resurrection. It was a body of bone and a body of flesh, but a body void of blood. It was all gone. That resurrection body. Let's bow our heads together.